Praise the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be here this evening. Uh, listen, forgive me, but I want to get right into the Word. You know, they say that time flies when you're having a good time, and I always have a great time when I'm up here. So I don't want the time to fly. So let's get right to it. Open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 6, and when you find it, we're going to pray. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm so glad that the weather's finally breaking and this is wonderful spring weather, the way it's supposed to be. Praise God. And of course, you know, when spring comes, that means it's planting time. But before you can plant, there has to be a cultivating and uh, the breaking of the ground. I don't like that part of it. And I know my wife is going to have me out there cultivating and breaking the ground before we can plant the seed. Amen. But that's all right. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this evening and this wonderful privilege, Father, to minister your word today. And Father, I I submit myself to you. I yield myself to you and to your Holy Spirit to speak your words into your people. Father, minister love, minister grace, minister strength, Father God, into every one of them. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you are here and that you fill this place, fill this room, Father God. And Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, that your filling will continue in our own personal lives. Father, give us a, a, a ready hear, Father, ear, Father God, to hear your word and a ready heart to receive your word today. And Father, we bind every distraction, every hindrance, Father, that would prevent your word from going forth into our hearts. And Lord, thank you and we praise you for your goodness and mercy and all that you will do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, tonight we're going to continue on the subject of prayer. And as you know, Pastor John has been teaching on prayer for the last several weeks, uh, specifically prevailing prayer, which is prayer that brings results. And tonight I want to talk more about prayer. But what I want to do is I want to encourage you to, uh, to develop a passion for prayer. I also want to encourage you to prioritize prayer in your life. Because I believe that when you do the two of those things, passion and priority, you'll begin to realize the possibilities of prayer. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' word says in verse 5, when you pray, and stop right there. When you pray, notice that Jesus didn't say if you pray. He says when you you pray. The implication here is that prayer is something that you do. Prayer is something that you're expected to do. Prayer is something that is common and natural to you. In other words, prayer you will do. According to Jesus, prayer is not an option. Prayer is not a choice. And Christians fall under three different categories when it comes to prayer. There are Christians that pray much. There are Christians that pray not so much. Then there are Christians that don't pray at all. The question I have for you is, which one of the three categories do you fall under? But don't, don't worry because my, my message tonight is not going to focus on any one of those specific categories. But my prayer and my message is for everybody because prayer is for everyone. Everybody is called to pray. Amen? Amen. It's unfortunate that many 
Christians treat prayer like a triple-A card. How many of you are triple-A members? Do you own one of those triple-A cards? Would you agree with me if I said it's a good thing to have? Right? It's not something that you expect to use on a regular basis, though. Only if it's an emergency. Right? Well, there's some Christians that treat prayer just like that. It's good to have, but they don't expect to use it as often, except when there's an emergency. And it's unfortunate that Christians are that way. None of you, of course. But in the body of Christ, there are Christians that do treat prayer just like that. They only pray when it's an emergency, rather than making prayer a part of your life. I believe that God wants to bring us to a much higher level and into a much deeper realm into our prayer lives. I believe that every one of us have not reached that place that God wants us to be. I believe that there's a realm that we still yet to reach in the very presence of God. You know that song where it says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Now I will enter his courts with praise. I believe there are many Christians that are camped up at the gate, but not willing to go any further. And there are those that have gone beyond the gate, but have settled in the court and have gotten happy and comfortable at that place. But I believe that God wants to bring us even further. He wants to take us to the gate, beyond the courts, and into his very presence. So that every time we pray, we can sing, God is here, fill this place. Listen, if that wasn't, listen, if, if every one of us have reached that place, there wouldn't be a prayer issue. Amen. And I believe that one of the key ingredients to developing our prayer life is passion. I believe passion is missing in our prayer life. What is passion? James 5, in the last part of verse 16, says, For the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Or you can say the effective heartfelt prayer of a righteous man avails much or accomplishes much. Or better still, you could say the effective passionate prayer of a righteous man avails much. But prayer is simply an intense, I mean, uh, uh, passion means an intense desire or or enthusiasm for something. And then my question for you tonight is, do you have an intense desire and enthusiasm for prayer? You know, there's a, a, a reference to seeking the Lord in both the Old and the New Testament. Seeking the Lord or seeking His face. And the word seek carries the same meaning in both books. But I want you to I want, listen to the definition of the word seek. It's a desire. It is to seek earnestly. It is to diligently search for, to crave, or to pursue. That is the definition for the word seek. How many of you remember the last time that you misplaced something of value, something that was important, something that was urgent, like maybe a wallet, a set of keys, uh, 
your credit card, your checkbook, your dentures, I don't know. Whatever's important, whatever's important to you. Do you remember when you misplaced it? Do you remember the effort that you put into finding it? Do you remember how diligent you was looking for it? I remember I misplaced my wallet. (laughs) I remember several years ago I I misplaced my wallet. And I remember how intense it was. Because I looked all over that house. I retraced my steps several times looking for this wallet. I went outside, looked into the car, looked underneath the seat, looked between the seats, looked behind the seats, looked under the car, looked through the walkway, on the porch, into the house, at the table, in the bedroom, in the bathroom. And I looked in the car again. And I remember how intense, how urgent I felt. But I can tell you, I diligently sought for that, that wallet. I went throughout that whole house. I found things I never thought was there. I found things that I wasn't even looking for. But I could not find my wallet. And of course, I thank God for the Holy Ghost for revealing to me where that wallet was. Because if, if he didn't show it to me, I'd still be looking for my wallet today. But my point here is, if you can remember the, the effort that you put into searching for that one important item. Do we place that same effort when we pray? I mean, do we diligently search for him? Do we really pray earnestly? Are we diligent in our searching for God? Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. I know that when I was looking for that wallet, I was not going to stop until I found it. And it was very exhausting because I spent over two hours looking for it. And in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, oh, Lord, please, I pray that I did not lose it outside because someone might have picked it up and then have a ball with it. And that was running through the back of my mind. So that developed a sense of urgency to find it. So I knew I had to find that wallet. And I wonder if we have that same urgency when we pray. Do we seek God until we find him? Look at what Jeremiah 29. And let's begin in verse 10. For thus saith the Lord. That after 70 years to accomplish is accomplished. At Babylon I will visit you and perform my good word towards you. In causing you to return to this place. Verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Verse 12 says, then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. This is the verse I want you to see. Verse 13, and you shall seek me, and what? Find me, when you search for me with all of your heart. That's passion. When you can spend time seeking after God diligently, earnestly, with urgency, until you find Him. That's our goal. That's that's what we should look for in prayer. That's what we should always look forward to, finding the very one that we're praying to. So we talk about passion. I like what Matthew 7, 7 says. Jesus says, seek and you will 
find. So the promise is to find, but there has to be a passion when you seek him. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and let's look at the story of Hannah. Hannah, as you know, was a woman who could not produce a child. And on top of all that, there was someone the Bible calls an adversary who would ridicule him and provoke her and just really just make her life miserable. And so she was a very bitter and very sorrowful woman. And she would spend time praying and seeking God. First Samuel chapter 10. Listen to the words. I mean chapter, I'm sorry. Did I say what I say? Chapter 1. And verse 10. Says she greatly, dis- she greatly distressed. Prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Verse 12. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord. In other words, she wasn't going anywhere, but she was going to continue every year. Her and her husband would travel to Shiloh, which was the place of worship. And there she would pray and fast. And every year she'd come away with no child and no answer. You know what that's like? Year after year. And then finally she got to a place where she did what the only thing that she could do. And, was, and that was to pray. And she said, and it said that she continued praying before the Lord. And that Eli was watching her mouth. Verse 13, as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought that she was drunk. Verse 14, then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. And then verse 15, and Hannah replied, no, my Lord. I am a woman of oppressed in spirit, sorrowful in spirit. And I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. But I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Isn't it interesting that her prayer was with such intensity that she poured her whole heart. Her whole heart was engaged in her prayer to God. That's passion. And she would not let up until she heard from God. And of course the Bible says that the Lord remembered her and blessed her with a child. But what I want you to see here is that even when you read this scripture, you can sense the urgency and the determination in her prayer. She wanted to find God. And there was a passion. Go to Daniel chapter 6. David was another man who was a man of passion. The Bible says that he was a man who sought after the heart of God. Even when the environment was unfavorable, he still sought the Lord. He says in Psalm 55 and verse 17, that Psalm 55 and verse 17, evening And morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. I like that. Evening, morning, and at noon. I will pray. He didn't say I might pray. If I'm not busy tomorrow, I might pray. If there's not a ball game on tonight, I may pray. 
at the Yankees are playing tonight, I know I will pray. No, he says, I will pray. He was determined. Daniel chapter 6. And he was a man who was a man of passion. Daniel was a man who had been living in Babylon for most of his life. He was captured. He was a young man by the Babylonians. And at this point in his life, he, had, uh, he was a grown man. He had favor with the king. But the government officials that worked for the king was jealous of Daniel. And so they all plotted this idea about coming up with a law and trying to convince the king to make this law pass. And the law is that no man can pray to any god or any man except the king for a whole month. Any man who violated that law would be thrown into the den of lions. Now what I want you to see here in verse 10 is this. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, that means the law that was passed... Listen to what he did. He entered his house, now his roof chamber, who had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Now, you've got to understand, Daniel had no house of worship. There was no Sabbath day. There was no word of God to read. He was so far away from his home. He was in a very strange environment. But the environment never interrupted what he normally did, which was to pray. Even under the threat of the king, it did not change his habit for prayer. And listen to me. Even under the, the, the threat of death, his passion to pray was far greater than the danger that he was facing. And listen, you and I are not facing danger or any life uh, threats or anything like that. But what is it that's causing us or preventing us from seeking God? What is it that's causing us to neglect our prayer time? What is it that's causing us or interrupting our, 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 our habit of praying, if we pray at all? Daniel, regardless of what the, the environment was, regardless of what the circumstances was, he was committed and determined to pray to his God. Nothing was going to interfere with his communion with the Lord. Listen, my friends. Prayer is going to cost you something. I said prayer is going to cost something. Listen to me. When you find yourself lacking in passion or desire... For praying and communing with the Lord. That is a sure sign. That your spiritual life. Are in decline. Let me say that again. When you find. That your passion. Or your desire to pray and commune with God. Is lacking. That is an unmistakable sign. That your spiritual life. Is on a decline. Now, I'm not saying this to bring any conviction to anyone. But it should awaken you and be determined to stir up that passion to pray. And when we start to develop that passion, we also will learn to be, to be able to prioritize our prayer time. Go to Mark chapter 1.
Jesus not only was a passionate prayer, but he also put prayer as a priority in his life. Isn't it interesting, too, that the book of Luke emphasizes more about Jesus' personal prayer life than all the other three Gospels. Did you know that? And also to note is that Jesus never prayed with his disciples. He always prayed alone. I mean, there were two or three instances where he would invite his disciples to come, three of them, which is Peter, John, and James, his inner circle, to come, but he never prayed with them. He prayed for them, but he never prayed with them. And there are many times he would go off and pray by himself. Listen to me. Corporate prayer is a powerful thing. But there's something about praying alone. There's something about being alone with God. Everyone should have a secret place that they can go and be with God. So in Mark chapter 1, beginning of verse 29, it says this. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and, and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and a nun they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Verse 32. And at even, or evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. Can you imagine somebody bringing people that were possessed of the devil into your house? That's what's going on here. And not just one, but several. Look at what he says. And they all, and all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of divers' disease, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. Now, when you read this, you find that Jesus had a very full and busy day. As a matter of fact, he went way into the evening of ministering to people, casting out devils, healing all kinds of sicknesses. But just to show you how much priority Jesus placed in prayer, look at verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, after having a full day like he did the night before, he had every reason to stay in bed just a little bit longer and just get, you know, just to sleep in a little bit because after all, he had a rough day. If it was many of the Christians, they, they, they make sure they sleep in and get some rest. But Jesus decided, no, getting up in the morning and praying is far more important. I'm on assignment and I've got work to do and I need to find out what it is that God wants me to do. Listen, in the east, the sun sets about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. And the Bible says that he woke up way before the day break. So we're talking about possibly maybe 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning. And in the next verse, verse 36, the Bible says that Simon got up and when they were following him or searching for him, and when they found him, they said unto him, all men seek you. In other words, by the time the disciples woke up, which they got their sleep, they slept in a little bit. But when they found him, by the time they found him, Jesus had already been praying for several hours. And listen to what he says. And, and Peter says, listen, Jesus, there are several men waiting for you. 
And listen to what Jesus said. Verse 38. Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. In other words, Jesus says, no, we're not going to see these people. I've been praying all night and the Lord's directing me to go to all these towns to preach the gospel. And look in verse 39, it says, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Glory to God. He received that assignment while he was in prayer. But the fact that he was willing to get up way before daybreak. You see, he took priority over his sleep so he can get along with God to find out what his next assignment was. And his next assignment was to go into next towns and to preach in all the synagogues and cast out devils. But listen to what I want you to, this is what I want you to share. He spent several hours praying. But don't you know that each person that Jesus ministered to, he either laid hands on them or spoke to them, but there was no prayer involved. As a matter of fact, you can say that he probably spent maybe a half a minute ministering to each person that he came across. I mean, how long does it take to say, come out, be healed, rise up and walk, wake up? That's what he did. Look in verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, can you make me clean? In verse 41, And Jesus moved with compassion and put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. Verse 42, And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Then he moved on. You know, there are some Christians that will spend only a few minutes praying And spending several hours trying to solve someone's problem and still with no results. Jesus' priority wasn't ministry to men. His priority was prayer. Because through prayer, ministry happened. Amen? Amen? Jesus knew exactly what he needed to do. And yes, I know that he's divine, but he's also man. Jesus needed to pray just as much as you and I need to pray. Jesus depended on prayer. Because that's how he was able to receive instruction from the Lord. Go to Luke chapter 6 real quick. I'm talking about prioritizing your prayer life. You know, we can find so many excuses that will interfere with our prayer time. And you know what? I want to come to a place where I can begin to pray and then continue to press in. And you know, maybe some of you have already experienced this. Where you prayed and prayed and all of a sudden you felt the presence of God in the room. And I'm sure some of you have. But man, to do that every day of your life. To have an encounter with God when you pray. To have an experience every time you go before the Lord. Well, that's nothing like it. I believe that's where God wants us. That's where he wants to take us. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. Look what it says. And it, it was at this time that he went on to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night prayer, praying to God. 
And verse 13 says, And when they came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, and he also named them as apostles. Isn't it interesting that he spent all night praying, and as soon as daylight came, the first thing he did was choose 12 of his disciples. So we understand why he spent all night praying, because he was about to choose 12 men that he was to teach and to train and to prepare for ministry. And that took all night for him to pray. How many of us are willing to pray all night until we hear God's instructions? Until we hear his next assignment? Some of us are not. You know, and there are some Christians that would pray, that pray and pray and they're just at the brink of reaching the presence of God and something happens and they stop. Now we need to be attentive to our prayer life. Jesus considered prayer more important than ministry. In Luke chapter 5, there was a leper that came to Jesus, asked to be cleansed. And Jesus, who has so much compassion, yes, cleaned him up, bam, right away, just like that. And he gave him specific instructions. He said, don't tell anybody. Needless to say, the leper told somebody. And before you know it, everybody in that town heard. And they all came to Jesus looking for him to receive healing and to have devils cast out. And it's interesting because in Luke chapter 5 and verse 16 it says this, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Imagine all of the people that needed healing, all that people that needed some sort of ministering were all surrounding Jesus looking for him to touch them, looking for him to to heal them and Jesus did not take the time to minister to any one of them but he would rather slip away and go into a mountain to pray you know how many of you have ever when you're in the middle of something and all of a sudden you received a prompting to pray but you weren't able to because you was in the middle of something you could, you could have been maybe entertaining guests Maybe you're doing, you know, cooking kielbasa in your grill, like Pastor Ray does. Maybe you're on your way somewhere, or maybe you're in the middle, maybe you was watching a ball game, and you felt this prompting in your spirit to go and pray, and you didn't pray, and you decided to do it later. But then later it came, you either forgot, or the prompting was no longer there. Jesus had an opportunity to minister, but there was a prompting for him to pray. And so he didn't take the time to heal anybody. Because prayer took a priority. And the Bible says that he did this often. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, one of his many stories, one story was that he would be at home entertaining guests. And he'd be sitting in his chair. And all of a sudden he received a prompting in his spirit to pray. And he wouldn't think nothing to get up, excuse himself and go into a room and never come out. Because he was praying. It didn't matter how many guests he had. And from what I understand, it was something he did quite often. Because Smith Wigglesworth saw prayer as a priority. When the Spirit of God is prompting you to pray, it's because there's something that he needed you to do. There's an assignment that he wants you to complete. But he can't do it unless you pray and seek God and find out what it is. Saints, we need to be willing to just drop what we're doing when we feel the prompting of the Spirit of God. And to begin to hear what God has to say. Now, 
I don't believe that the Spirit of God is going to give you a prompting in your spirit while you're in the middle of your job. I can see it now. You say, boss, I, I got to go. I got I to gotta prompt the other Spirit of God. I can't work no more. You got to let me go. I, I can take a half a day here. I don't believe God will do that. But I know He will do it at a time when it's most inconvenient for you. I do know that. But how much priority are we willing to put in prayer? We're willing to put it aside and just drop what we're doing to seek God. Listen, we should never make the mistake of trying to squeeze prayer into our schedule. When we have to squeeze prayer into our schedule, it's because we're not making it a priority. Prayer should be a big part of our schedule. David says, I pray in the noontime, I pray in the morning, and I pray in the evening. I will pray, he says. Jesus tells us that we're to make prayer a priority. Luke 18, 1 says that men are always to pray. Always. Not sometimes. Not once a week. Not an hour a week. He says always to pray and not faint, not give up. Paul says to pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Continue to pray. Go to Numbers chapter 11. When we learn to develop a passion to pray, it'd be easier for us to set priorities in our prayer life. When there's a passion and intense desire to want to pray and want to seek God and want to continue to press in until we find Him, we're willing to make priorities. We're willing to make prayer first place in our life. And when we do that, then we begin to realize the possibilities of prayer. Numbers chapter 11. When we talk about the possibilities of prayer, it is gauged by faith in God's ability to do. In other words, the key is believing in the ability of God to do the impossible. Jesus said that with God all things are possible. Great faith enables God to do great things. Amen? When God promised Abraham and Sarah that he was going to give them Isaac, in spite of their physical incapabilities, Sarah responded with a laugh because she thought in her mind how in the world can I as old as I am in my womb being dead can I conceive a child God's response to her was this is anything too hard for God in, in Numbers chapter 11 God had told Moses at this point the children of Israel were tired of eating manna Every day, manna. Manna in the morning, manna in the noontime, manna at night, manna midnight snack. They were tired of manna. Matter of fact, they kept talking about how they had a good in Egypt and they had a much larger diet and menu, how they ate fish. And here they are in the wilderness eating manna every day. And they say they wanted meat. And then God says, you want meat? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you so much meat, it's going to come out of your ears. I'm going to give you enough meat. It's going to last you for a whole month. Moses, however, questioned God's ability 
to provide me for a whole month for his people. Listen to what he says in verse 21. But Moses said, the people among whom I am are, are 600,000 on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat so that they may eat for a whole month. Verse 22, should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? In other words, all the flocks and all the herds that we have, are you telling me, God, that if we kill all of them and use that, if that's what you're thinking, then there's not enough here to feed everybody. Then it goes on to say, or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? In other words, even that is not going to be enough. You see, Moses, I mean, yeah, Moses was thinking naturally. But God was saying, I will provide supernaturally. And he says in verse 23, the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited or is God's hand waxed short? Listen to what he says. Now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. When we learn to believe and trust in the ability of God. Then we can understand the possibilities of our prayer. Listen, salvation comes or is possible with prayer. Shattered strongholds in your life is made possible through prayer. Deliverance is made possible through prayer. Provisions are made possible through prayer. We just don't understand the depth of the possibilities that prayer has. But if we believe in the ability of God to do the impossible, our prayers can go a long ways. Paul believed in the, in the ability of God. He says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, For God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could have asked or think. In other words, what he's simply saying is that God has God's ability to do far exceeds our ability to ask. I don't think we understand the depth of the possibility that prayer has. Last week, last Wednesday, Pastor John talked about the sovereignty of God. And he asked a question, why pray to a sovereign God? We know that sovereignty means absolute ruler. And that's what God is. He's an absolute ruler of all the universe. He's so, so sovereign. God can do anything he wants. And I remember Pastor John asking the question, why pray to a God who is sovereign and can do whatever he wants? If our prayer cannot influence God, if our prayer cannot affect God, who can do whatever he wants... And maybe even do the opposite of what we ask because he's sovereign. Then why pray? Well, the answer is very simple. Because you see, when God speaks, his word becomes law. Not just to the entire creation, but to God himself. That means that God will never violate his word. God is is as sovereign as his word. And yes, God is sovereign. He can do anything. But the moment he speaks, his sovereignty stops. Because you see, when he speaks, God can no longer do whatever he wants. He can only do what he says. 
Go to Isaiah chapter 55. You see, God is bound by his word. He cannot go against his word. He cannot go against his, his word. He cannot violate his word. Numbers 23 and verse 19 says, For God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind about what he said. Has he not said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Isaiah 55 verse 11 says this, So shall my word be that goes forth from out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish what I please. And it will prosper wherever I send it. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 1 in verse 12 says this, Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I have hastened, or to be alert, or look out, or watch over my word to perform it. Psalm 119 and verse 89 says this, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled, or stand, or established in heaven. That means when God speaks his word, it's already settled. Can't change it, can't go against it. It's settled forever. Hallelujah. Psalm 138 verse 2 says that God magnifies his word above his name. You want to talk about the integrity of God's word. He will never go against his word. All the possibilities of prayer. Listen saints. Let me close with this thought. Time in prayer is not time wasted. Time in prayer is time invested. You know, a farmer, in order to get a great harvest, he has to plant seeds in his field. And every time he plants a seed in his field, he plants with an expectation of a great harvest. The same is true when we pray. Because we're the farmers. Our prayers are the seeds. The good soil, the fertile ground is God. And every time we pray, we're planting seeds on good ground. Because God is fertile ground. And every time we plant the seeds of prayer, glory to God, we can expect a great harvest. I said we can expect a great harvest. Hallelujah. So it sort of changes your view of prayer. Think about every time you pray, you're planting some good seeds into good ground and you're going to expect a great harvest. Hallelujah. What kind of farmer plants without expectation? But we're good farmers who believe in a good God who plants a seed on good ground, which is God himself. And we know we will get a great harvest. Amen. Matthew 6, 6 says this, and I'll close with this. But when you pray, go into your most private room and closing the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. Hallelujah. That's the great harvest. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that God is a rewarder of them that diligently Passionately seek Him. 
So let me encourage you tonight. Stir up your passion to pray. Make your prayer a passionate thing. Let your experience with God, your time with God, be something of passion, diligence. Don't be so quick to leave prayer. Don't be so quick to leave the presence of God. Find God. And when you found him, I don't think you want to leave him. <laughs> when you come to that place and you find him and you want, to, you want to stay in his presence. All of a sudden, time doesn't matter. And when you develop that passion, prioritize your time in prayer. Make prayer your priority. Make it in the noontime. Make it in the morning. Make it in the evening. But make it your priority. And then when you do that, then you'll understand the possibilities of your prayer. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking forth your word tonight. Thank you, Father God, for encouraging us and stirring up our spirit, man, Lord God, to pray and to seek you more. Father, I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you've given us to spend time in your word and to spend time in your presence. Father, let our presence, let our time together be sweet, Father God. Hallelujah. Let it be a time of lasting, of a wonderful, powerful effect. Let it be a wonderful experience, Father. And Father, I pray that you help everyone that's here tonight, Father, to help them to get to that place. Father, it's our desire, Father God, to be everything you want us to be. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit to do this in us, prompting us, stirring us up, and bring us to that place, Father God, where we enter into your presence. Hallelujah. And Lord, let it be a sweet time. And so, Father, we thank you for ministering to your people tonight with your word. And for this, we give you all the glory and all the praise that you so deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.